This is The Guardian. Before we start, just a warning that this episode contains reference to domestic and family violence and sexual assault. In Australia, the National Family Violence Counselling Service can be found online at 1800respect.org.au. You can also call 1-800-737-732. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. An independent inquiry into the Queensland Police Service and their responses to domestic and family violence has unearthed some shocking allegations, with one whistleblower, a current serving officer, alleging that racism is pervasive inside the force and that domestic violence victims have been mocked by officers and sent away without help. This testimony follows years of coronial inquests, inquiries and reports, all highlighting systemic failures by the Queensland Police when dealing with domestic and family violence. But with multiple current and former officers giving damning evidence at this inquiry, could this be a turning point? Today, blowing the whistle on the Queensland Police Force and their handling of domestic violence. It's Tuesday, the 26th of July. Eden, you've been reporting on an inquiry that's happening right now in Queensland. Can you tell me what it's about? Sure. The inquiry is to look into police responses to domestic and family violence cases in Queensland, and it's called the Independent Commission of Inquiry into Queensland Police, or QPS, Responses to Domestic and Family Violence. Eden Gillespie is Guardian Australia's Queensland state reporter. So it has similar powers to a Royal Commission, meaning, you know, it's pretty thorough and it has a lot of powers. It's considering the extent to which cultural issues within the Queensland Police influence the way that police investigate and respond to domestic violence and how these have contributed to the over-representation of First Nations people in the criminal justice system. So the hearing started two weeks ago and there are three more weeks to go of those public hearings. It also follows the Queensland Women's Safety and Justice Task Force report handed down in December, which found a widespread and negative culture undermine the work of the QPS trying to address the issue. And what type of people have been called to speak at this inquiry? Yeah, so a lot of different people. So academics, advocates, domestic violence service providers, as well as current and retired police officers. Mm. But probably the most unusual testimony so far was from a whistleblower. And he's actually a Queensland police officer who can't be identified. And he described the culture from within the force that he witnessed firsthand. So obviously that's a really important testimony and pretty rare. Mm. Tell me about this whistleblower and what they told the inquiry. So I actually rushed into the hearing because I learned last minute that uh, the hearing wouldn't be live streamed, so you had to come into court. I missed the first 10 minutes, but I got the full transcript later. The officer is referred to as Witness A, and that's all we can really say about him. We can't identify him or where he works, but we do know that he is a current serving officer. Mm. So he described a misogynistic culture where police are often reluctant to take further action on reports of DV and often turn victims away. 
and um, he broke into tears as he talked about his utter disappointment with police, not reckoning with internal issues regarding how they respond to DV incidents. It was pretty hard to hear some of his comments that allegedly came out of police officers' mouths. He said he'd heard officers say victims deserve to be raped, Mm. calling rape surprise sex and saying domestic violence is just foreplay, she's too ugly to be raped. I can see why he does that to her. Mm. He also said officers had called their partners and female officers derogatory names behind their backs and that female officers often experience sexual harassment at work. Mm. As you said, this isn't just words. He had witnessed some cases where domestic violence survivors were not treated properly by police officers. Did he go into more detail about specific incidents? Yeah. There was one really shocking story he told about being in a police car with an officer who drove away from a suburb to avoid responding to a DV incident. Mm -hmm. And he said victims are often turned away from the front desk or dismissed if they're not the perfect victim. What does he mean by a perfect victim? So, you know, someone who is Rapunzel in in a tower, he said, who has a high level of education, they dress well and they're articulate. He also said that racism is pervasive in the police force and that he'd heard officers using offensive slurs to describe Indigenous Australians. He mentioned instances of people treating domestic violence victims with derision for not being able to speak with police without an interpreter. And he also talked about officers in his workplace actually being accused of domestic violence. Mm. He said these officers often considered themselves the victims. One of them, he said, had angrily commented that he would kill his ex-partner, which led Witness A to make an internal complaint. So he claims he has met Queensland police officers who were accused of domestic violence themselves. Do we know how common this problem is, that the police are implicated in DV as well? Yeah, well, there have been similar instances reported on before. For example, the same day that the inquiry began, a Queensland officer was suspended for alleged domestic violence breaches, according to the Brisbane Times. The officer was charged with five counts of contravening a DV order. Mm. And Guardian Australia has also previously reported that in 2020, there were 84 Queensland police named as a respondent to a domestic violence protection order. Mm. Last year, Assistant Commissioner for the Queensland Police, Brian Codd, told the Guardian Australia that he could not offer a 100% guarantee that women seeking help would not encounter abusers in a uniform or officers with problematic attitudes. Back to the testimony of this whistleblower, I can't imagine that as a current serving officer, it was an easy decision for him to decide to speak about this culture and and what he witnessed. What did you think of the testimony of this whistleblower? Sitting there watching him, I thought he was incredibly brave. Although his identity was withheld, it was a public hearing. Anyone could have walked into the courtroom and seen who it was making those allegations. And there were also really senior police officers in the courtroom watching his testimony. Mm. The Queensland Police Service has made it very clear that they are supporting officers making these testimonies. But I still felt that it was pretty incredible for him to come forward and make those allegations that could potentially come at a huge professional cost to himself. 
So these are some pretty serious allegations, but this is just one person who spoke at the inquiry. Have we heard similar examples of this culture at this inquiry? Yeah, unfortunately, these stories are being repeated by people throughout the inquiry, even by other police officers. Queensland Police Officer Sergeant Paul Trinder spoke about an incident where he claims a Queensland police officer minimised a domestic violence incident despite the victim having punch-sized bruises. He also had heard about instances where police officers had failed to turn on their body-worn cameras during DV incidents. Mm. Also, multiple people who work in this sector as service providers They spoke about allegations of racism and police not believing victims, particularly when they're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders. Mm. So there was one witness, Thelma Swartz, who is the principal legal officer at the Queensland Indigenous Family Violence Legal Service, and she told the inquiry that police often take the side of the perpetrator as, you know, they often appear calm and quiet in comparison to the woman when she's quite distressed. Kerry Johnson, superintendent of the Queensland Police's First Nation and Multicultural Affairs Unit, also told the inquiry about one woman advising her daughter not to report an attack by her partner to police because of her distrust in them. Mm. Johnson said that a number of officers lacked good or acceptable knowledge of historical issues between First Nations communities or contemporary issues The inquiry also heard about how a long history of distrust affects how Aboriginal people even access help for DV. So this intergenerational trauma within First Nations people leading to a lack of trust, a lack of confidence in police. Mm. And this means First Nations women were fearful of going to police as they were worried child protection would come and remove their kids. And there were really specific examples of these issues given at the inquiry as well. Mm. So during the second week of the hearings, the inquiry also heard about a case where officers wrongfully identified a deaf First Nations woman as a perpetrator, despite making no effort to communicate with her. And the inquiry also heard about a First Nations woman who was a DV victim and was turned away from a Brisbane police station because she was perceived as argumentative. And the submissions to the inquiry, so those are written, not testimony in court, have also been really illuminating. Guardian Australia has seen a statement that hasn't been released to the public where another Queensland police whistleblower alleged that the Queensland police routinely hid domestic violence failures from the coroner and they had failed to adequately investigate deaths of four Indigenous women. Wow. So according to this officer, police failures in domestic violence cases were being covered up, essentially. How? So her role in 2020 included auditing death investigations for any link to domestic and family violence, and she alleged that she was directed to withhold evidence of police failures in domestic violence cases from the state coroner's office, and it was made explicitly clear by her supervising officer that she was to protect the QPS's reputation at all costs. And in the case of those four Indigenous women in particular, She claims that detectives in all four deaths reported them as drug overdoses, despite, and I quote, the last known person to see the deceased or report the person as deceased being a respondent in current domestic violence matters with the deceased female. Mm. So she says these investigations lacked adequate responses from senior officers. 
She did make a complaint to the Crime and Corruption Commission about what she described as routine requests to withhold information, but an internal investigation ultimately found no evidence of wrongdoing. Next. How long have we known about this problem inside the Queensland Police Force? So, Eden, how long has both the public, the Queensland government and the Queensland police themselves been aware of these types of issues, of this poor culture within the Queensland Police Service? The inquiry was a really long time coming. The same themes, you know, police not taking DV reports seriously, police mistaking women as perpetrators, discrimination against Aboriginal women, those issues have been raised for years, decades even, and have been the subject of inquiries, coronial inquests and media reports. So, for example, there was an inquest back in 2011 into the killings of Anthony Way, Tanya Simpson and her daughter, which detailed how a police officer did not consider the killer's prior controlling behaviour to be domestic violence. The coroner, Michael Barnes, found that those charged with helping the family stay safe did not have processes that gathered the necessary information nor the expertise to adequately interpret it. Mm. Again in 2015, an inquest into the death of Indigenous woman Elsie Robertson recommended a review of training packages available to officers focusing on DV training. It found training and specialised practice materials must be developed and made available to police and judicial officers, as well as frontline service delivery providers. In 2021, research by Anne Rose, Australia's National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, found that almost half of the women murdered by an intimate partner in Queensland had been previously labelled by police as a perpetrator of DV. Mm. We looked at this in a previous podcast with Queensland correspondent Ben Smee. It kind of goes to the issue that you spoke about earlier, right, Eden, that sometimes survivors' victims are misunderstood to be perpetrators by police because of the way that they present. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that, you know, witnesses made it really clear in the public hearings. They were talking about how often there is that idea of an ideal victim. Um, often there's a lot of entrenched racism that occurs. There's um, unconscious and conscious biases that happen as well. And, and those seem to really affect First Nations people who aren't seen as, by some police officers, the, you know, Rapunzel in the tower, the perfect victim, the person that is needing of help. One of the people who gave a testimony in the public hearings had said that often when police arrive at a scene, they'll see a woman who has been the subject of domestic violence for years and sometimes has snapped because they've experienced this long history of violence by an offender and they may be holding a bread knife or something, you know. They might have finally stood up for themselves or tried to defend themselves. And when police arrive, they do see that this woman is agitated, doesn't want to speak to police, or doesn't feel like they're being believed in the situation. And there have been cases too raised of officers being really nady with the, you know, kind of matey-matey with the offenders talking about motorbikes in the backyard and those kinds of things, which obviously would be perceived to a victim as incredibly distressing. It sounds like 
these issues have been made clear, they've been the subject of inquests and the like. Have any of the police that have been accused of mishandling domestic violence cases faced consequences for that? Generally, it's pretty hard to say. Several police officers who told the inquiry they actually had made complaints against their colleagues for either inaction or their behaviour reported that they did not hear back about the outcome. And it's often hard to know what action has been taken due to a lack of transparency with internal processes. Mm. But there have been more public cases in the media where we have learned more about the outcomes. And one example of this is Senior Sergeant Neil Punchard, who hacked into a confidential database to access a victim's address and then sent it to her former partner, who she was hiding from after being repeatedly assaulted. Mm. The officer was the former partner's friend and suggested in text messages that his friend should let loose on Julie, among other things. And he received a wholly suspended two-month jail sentence in October 2019 after pleading guilty to nine counts of computer hacking in 2013 and 2014. A Queensland court overturned the conviction, but it was reinstated in 2021 after the Queensland Police Service appealed that decision. So that Punchard case is just one case. If there is a cultural problem, that's a much bigger task to fix here. How is the Queensland government and the Queensland police tackling this and responding to these issues? Yeah, we also know that last year, in the wake of the revelations that Queensland police officers were named a respondent in a DV order, the Queensland Assistant Commissioner Brian Codd who is in charge of a new police, domestic and family violence and vulnerable persons command, he acknowledged that police should be held to a higher standard and he said that the issue of how to deal with accused officers was very much on the agenda for us. And following that, there were changes to the Operational Procedures Manual in July 2021 and those were to support greater officer accountability and ensure the confidence of the public is maintained while an investigation takes place. And we expect that there's going to be more to come this year. So we know that after this inquiry, there will be a report to the government on the 4th of October. The Queensland government has been looking at this via a special task force, which is called the Women's Safety and Justice Task Force that we mentioned earlier. They've released a series of reports called the Hear Her Voice Reports. And the most recent one examines and reviews the experiences of women and girls across Queensland's criminal justice system. That report looked at problems with policing alongside other things like the courts and made 188 recommendations, some of them specifically to do with the police. What did this report recommend and are those recommendations likely to be implemented? Yeah, so they recommended a number of things, including for police to establish a clear and accessible internal right to review process for DV victims, as well as ongoing training for police and front counter staff and that police review their translation services for First Nations people. So the government is carefully considering these recommendations as part of the 188 recommendations of that second report, but they are supporting the first report recommendations. There are about 89 of those, and they're going to take into consideration as well any findings that come out of this commission of inquiry. Right, but as you mentioned earlier, there's been a series of coronial inquests and inquiries previously. How is this going to be any different? Are we confident that there will be substantial change after this inquiry and after the work of this special task force? 
I have put that question to advocates and they've generally told me that while there have been inquests, while there have been reports in the past, that this inquiry is really important because it particularly zooms in on training procedures and cultural attitudes within the Queensland Police Service and has received several submissions from police officers themselves. Hmm. But keeping in mind, advocates do say that training is one thing and cultural attitudes are another. And they say that police officers need to be held accountable when failures are made, like in any other workplace. Yet these failures can cost someone their life. So we have seen cases like Doreen Langham, where she had contact with 16 police officers in the two weeks before she was murdered by her ex-partner last year. And the coronial inquest into her death found systematic failures in the way that the police treated her case. So obviously the stakes in fixing this issue are really high. That was Eden Gillespie, Guardian Australia's Queensland state reporter. You can read Eden's latest reporting on the inquiry at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Laura Briley-Newton and sound design and mixing by Joe Koning. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Molly Glassie, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.